firing up the high motor podcast this weekend and i was thinking back late in the summer every single episode we did maybe starting like mid to late july going through august august until the season actually kicked off we discussed recent opt-outs every single episode like this conference is in next episode they're out now this conference is out now they're in the big 10 is maybe out now they release a schedule week later they're out week later the pac-12 is out this team is out this team is in i mean it was so many huge week-to-week changes leading up to the college football season, all of which, with all due respect to our friends in the MAC, all of which changed the big-picture landscape of the season of the playoff picture. And we're doing that again with a different piece. I mean, during the season so far with so many big-picture playoff impact and results each week, just within one conference, just within the Big 12. It feels like every week we hop on here, we're talking about dramatic changes to the Big 12 playoff picture. Before we hop into that and some other playoff picture stuff, some SEC, some Pac-12 stuff, carrying on with something that we we started the conversation right when we hopped on here before I clicked record. And I want to get into this just very, very quickly for a couple of minutes. We were talking about the situation with Trey Lance and North Dakota State. They played uh, Central Arkansas yesterday in Fargo. Basically, the Trey Lance NFL Showcase, I can't remember what the number was, but it was somewhere between 20 and 25 NFL teams in attendance for that game. And because you're much deeper into the FCS uh, group than I am, to, to me, I'm, I understand why they're playing this game. I understand the reasoning behind it. Do you believe it's 100% to get Trey Lance one game to showcase to NFL scouts? I think that's got to be the top reason. I, I think there's got to be other reasons involved. I know a lot of Bison fans were like, we want to see football this fall. So like make it happen. And I think that was probably a factor. Like, you know what? We want to give them one game. We have an incredible fan base. We want to give them one game if we can figure out a way to do it. So I think that was part of it. But I think a huge part of it has to be this idea of giving Trey Lance a showcase game. You had a guy who I I understand that he wasn't recruited very heavily, but still the talent that he had if you actually took the time to watch him, was pretty clear. A lot of people said, well, you know, he he did it against competition that wasn't very good. But he came to North Dakota State, and he is, in my opinion, I've watched the national championship game from last year at least three times sober. I'm not counting live. I've, I've come back and watched it again sober three more times. In my opinion, he is the reason why they won that game. Uh, so I think you owe him this. All other factors aside, I think you owe him this. But it did it did raise questions of, hey, what if this doesn't go well? Like, what if? And I saw Ryan Clark from ESPN and a few other people pointing this out. Like, 
it's great that you're giving this kid a, a, a showcase to show off what he can do and get a bunch of NFL draft scouts in there. But what if the game doesn't go very well? And then he doesn't have an opportunity to, to like change the narrative again. So this is coming into this game. He had never thrown an interception. He looked like a borderline perfect quarterback prospect. And now it feels a little bit like he's he's dinged his reputation ever so slightly. He's still obviously a great prospect. He's still going to get drafted. But it feels like his draft stock has lost value. And he he's now not really going to have an opportunity to clean that up and, and improve it again, maybe to the place where it was, unless he plays in the spring and puts off his professional career by another year. I mean, what's the risk-reward here? Because going into the... I mean, this isn't a situation where he's coming out of nowhere. People jumped on the Trey Lance bandwagon, at least in the NFL draft analyst circles, pretty early last year. I was honestly surprised to hear the hype from them so early last year. I mean, he was being mentioned with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields or ahead of them by some analysts very, very early, obviously before this game even happened. So it seems like and we don't want to bank on any sort of draft posi- draft position actually panning out or projections, excuse me, panning out. But it sure as shit seemed like at worst, he's going to be the third quarterback off the board, which means you have a really good chance to go in the top 10, if not the top 15. Could he have been the number one overall pick before playing this game? Sure. Could he be the number one overall pick after this game? Sure. We have no idea how this is going to play out, but it seems like the worst case scenario is you're like a top 10 or a top 12 pick. And yet, if he plays really well, is a team really going to say, yeah, he was QB three for us, but we saw him play against Central Arkansas and go 18 of 22 with three touchdowns and 300 yards and 100 yards on the ground. Now he's QB one for us. I, f- I think that's really hard to believe that a team would jump him that much based on one game. What is the risk reward? I mean, God forbid, what if he gets injured? It didn't happen, but you go down with an ACL or a neck injury or some long-term injury, I'm having a really hard time seeing what, and ultimately it's his decision, whatever he wants to do. If, if North Dakota State is playing this game not exclusively exclusively because of him and he just wants to play, do whatever you want, dude. But what is the risk-reward if North Dakota State is saying, hey, we really got to play this game to get Trey some reps here and get him his stock boosted? What, what am I missing here? Yeah, I, I think I think you 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 approached one thing that I think is really important to remember in that comment, which is like we always break this down from like all of these big thoughtful angles about you know his draft value and, and like all of this economic stuff. And I think one of the angles that often gets lost from people that have podcasts or people talk on TV or whatever is maybe he just wanted to play. You know, maybe he wanted one more game with the guys he's been in a locker room with for two plus years. Maybe he just wanted to do that. And if he did, God bless him. Like, hope I hope he had fun. I hope he made one last set of memories if he goes into the NFL draft this spring. One last set of memories that he enjoys for the rest of his life. Uh, strictly from a draft management perspective, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think I agree with this idea that you were already really good and it, it, se- it sounds good until you think about it. Like, nobody's going to say, well, you know, we moved him up our board because of that great game against Central Arkansas. Like, he he played 10 better teams probably during last year's FCS season than this game against Central Arkansas. And I I see, not to bring in the gambling aspect of it, but I, I see a lot of pros that target games where one side is maybe the inferior team, but they've played way more games than the team they're playing against. 
that team is often going to play better just because they're they're more game ready. Uh, I don't think anybody disputes the idea that North Dakota State has superior talent than Central Arkansas. I think anybody who even remotely follows FCS knows that. But Central Arkansas has played like four games. So it, it was a tough spot to put that particular team in uh, this particular Saturday. And I think that's why it didn't turn into the absolute bloodbath that we are accustomed to seeing North Dakota State play in at the FCS level these days. I'm really curious how all this pans out. I'm re- always really curious how the draft process pans out. And yes, this this season is extremely unfortunate what's happened all this year, but I think it's going to make for a very, very entertaining and fascinating draft process for everybody. I mean, not only the, the top quarterbacks on the board, Trevor Lawrence playing potentially 10 or 12 games, but somebody like Trey Lance, somebody like all these players that have opted out, Caleb Farley, um, I know Rashad Bateman came back, but all these guys that opted out, how is that going to affect their draft stock? How is the process going to go? Everything like that. All right, so we're here again doing what I mentioned in the opening, talking about some big picture stuff within the Big 12 that is shifting dramatically every single week. And we're after a week five in which Oklahoma eliminated themselves. And I know we don't like buying into the we know they're out stuff each year. Like this team is done. Their playoff hopes are done after this loss. Because as we learned, what, six years ago in year one of the playoff with Ohio State's loss to Virginia Tech, very, very little is definite or guaranteed until late in the season. And right, we're on the same page with that, right? We're not going to overreact to playoff impact and results, but we agree that Oklahoma is 100% out of the playoff conversation. I'm not going to say 100%. I'm going to say it's pretty unlikely. Put it this way. Oklahoma hasn't beaten an FBS team yet. That's a fact. I think if... Iowa State would have beat it, would have beat Louisiana. I mean, that would have dramatically changed the playoff picture for even an Iowa State, if you want to go there, or the Big 12 race for Iowa State. And even though I think people are aware Louisiana is a good team, I think Oklahoma losing to a team that lost to a Sunbelt team is just too much for them to overcome. I'm going to put them at 100% out, but I see where you're coming from by we don't even want to say what we're doing because we have no idea what's going to happen this year. And, and I think next- that's coronavirus-related. By exactly. the way, if, if yeah. it's a normal season, it feels like they would be 100% out and I would be with you. I just feel like there's an extra plus or minus 5% this particular season of be very careful eliminating people, even if it seems obvious. Right. And honestly, you're probably right here. We have no idea what cancellations could come down. Again, God forbid. I mean, the example that we've been using for the last three months, like what happens if Clemson's entire offensive line is out? They got to run a bunch of walk-ons out there. They drop a game they're not supposed to, drop two games, something like that. We have no idea what's going to happen. So honestly, you're probably right on this. And this is something that that you propose to talk about. Two very fascinating power structure debates across college football right now. One in the Big 12, one in the SEC. And we're also going to ask after this power structure segment, we're going to ask where the Pac-12 fits in the playoff schedule. But starting with the Big 12, Let's stay there. We went deep into every conference. I mean, we literally talked about every single team in the FBS during our neighborhood series over the summer, where they fit moving forward. I think what we said, where are they going to be over the next five to 10 years? We talked about every single FBS team over that. But when you brought up power structure uh, on Saturday night, when we were throwing back texts about what we could talk about today, we're talking power structure right now, 2020, right? When you say Big 12 power structure, SEC power structure, We're shrinking the lens to 2020. That's what we're doing here, correct? Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, after Oklahoma is 0-2 to start the conference schedule, okay, it feels like 
they're probably out of the mix. I think they could maybe backdoor themselves into the number two spot for the conference title game. But you're talking about a big weight that they have now tied to themselves. So if Oklahoma is removed from the picture and Oklahoma State, we have decided, yes, they're 2-0, and we're not sure long-term over the entire conference schedule if that offensive line is going to get the job done. If you take the Oklahoma schools out and you have a Texas team that's barely 1-1 one one in conference play, who are the players in this conference? And, and as, as a guy who likes a non-traditional Big 12 team uh, in terms of like who the powerful players are, I think this is really interesting. So I think it's interesting when the Big 12, like the, the usual suspects kind of shrink away from the spotlight. And now we've got Kansas State at 2-0 and and Iowa State at 2-0. So this is interesting to me. But yeah, to answer your question, we're talking about this year, not necessarily, you know, the next five years. Who's the best team in the Big 12 right now? On the field, neutral field, who's the best team in the Big 12? Is it still Oklahoma? You had Oklahoma State before the season. You changed that uh, after that Tulsa game, after their offensive line has looked shit. Uh, yesterday was a different deal. We're talking here on Sunday. Yesterday was a different deal, but it's always a different deal versus Kansas. But right now, I still think Oklahoma is the best team in the conference. But I think the gap is has shrunk significantly. It's a little bit more cloudy. Do you still have Oklahoma atop that conference in terms of just being the pure best team? I I understand what you're saying, and I, I might even agree with you to some degree. But at a certain point, there are consequences for losses, right? Like, at a, if they're 0-3, am I still going to say they're the best team in the Big 12? If they're 0-4, oh, but the, the talent. I mean, they have so much talent. Like, at a certain point, maybe Kansas State is a better team than them. Right? I mean, that's... I don't know. And we're, we're three games into a schedule here, two Big 12 games, and we don't know if we put Oklahoma in the first neighborhood of our series, and we, if you guys listen to that, we talked about they're not in the same exact ballpark as, as Alabama and Clemson, Ohio State, but they're in that top neighborhood of annual playoff teams. And now we're sitting here three weeks into the season, disregard that it's mid-October, weird season, we're sitting here wondering if Oklahoma is the best team in the conference. I mean, like, what is happening here? Well, I think you have to be careful tying these two conversations together because they're related. But when we were doing that neighborhood series, it was a big picture idea, right? And I understand we, we labeled that neighborhood annual playoff contenders or, or whatever we called it. But... I just I want to be really careful about suggesting, you know, Oklahoma could make the playoff next year and win the playoff in 2022 and be an 11-win team in 2023. We could still have gotten that right, you know. I, I always feel like there was some level of reckoning coming for Oklahoma in that they have powered that team the last few years by two things. One, a head coach that's really, really good. That's not going anywhere. And two... A, an improbable rotation of transfer quarterbacks sliding in one after another, winning the Heisman one after another. I mean, it, it's at a certain point, you're not going to hit that every single year. So I feel like this is that year. And, and I'm not, I'm not totally surprised that there is going to be some struggle in a macro sense. I think in a micro sense, it's, I'm surprised they lost to both of these teams. I'm surprised they lost to Iowa State 
and Kansas State, and they're 0-2. They still have to play Texas. They still have to play Oklahoma State. Like, it's not unrealistic that Oklahoma finishes this conference season with a 5-4 record or a 4-5 record. So, at some point, they can't be the best team even if they have the most talent. Maybe that one piece isn't talked about enough. We talk a lot about how Oklahoma is so far beyond these elite teams in college football every year, but it still seems like they are deserving of a playoffs. But I was going back the other day, just just browsing through through some Oklahoma stuff. Oh, let me ask you something. You'll probably have an idea because I'm gonna. It's a leading question since 2001. So the year after Oklahoma went undefeated, 13 and 0. Since 2001, that is now we'll, we'll include 2020. So 20 seasons. How many seasons do you think that they've had with one or zero losses over the last 20 years? Mm, Like, I don't know, probably close to all of them. (laughs) One. They've had one season with one or zero losses, and that was in 2004. They've lost at least two games every single year since 2005. Oh, yeah, I answered the question backwards. Right. (laughs) I I meant none of them. Yeah. I mean, if you would have told me that before I looked it up, I would have been surprised. But then you start thinking about these teams and going back to what you said, they've lived off of these elite high-octane offenses, transfer quarterbacks, Heisman quarterbacks. Maybe we don't talk about enough that if Oklahoma had a phenomenal offense, but not an elite offense, not arguably the top offense or a top three offense in college football every single year, they're losing three, four, or five games every single year if they just go from elite, elite offense to very, very good offense because of how bad their defense has been, because of how inept they've been disciplinary-wise in the fourth quarter so many different times over the last few years that if you just take Oklahoma down one single notch from elite offense to very good offense, they're going from these these repeated two-loss seasons. They already have two losses now for the, what, sixth straight year to maybe being like a 9-3 and team every year or a 10-2 and team every year. I, I don't want to blow this up and overreact to what we've seen. I mean, Iowa State's not a bad team. Kansas State is not a bad team, clearly. But we're still sitting here. I'm, I'm openly wondering, and I asked last week, is it too early to wonder if Lincoln Riley will ever put together a complete team at Oklahoma? I can't help but go back and think, God, if, if they just were very good on offense, like a top 15 offense, which... 90% of college football teams would take if they were just that and not this elite offense. I mean, where does this team sit? And is this a long-term problem from Oklahoma moving forward, especially in terms of taking this year's power structure and, and wondering if that could replicate itself next year in 2022 and, and beyond that? Yeah. And, and it's an interesting observation by you because I think the offense actually might be the problem with them right now. They haven't had, you know, a, a championship caliber defense in a while. But that always has that, that hasn't really gotten in their way because the offense has been so good. If I told you Iowa State scored 24 points after halftime in Saturday's game, you would be like, "Okay, yeah, sure they did. Oklahoma's defense, fine." But if I told you that Oklahoma scored 13 points on offense after halftime, that's the surprising part to me, right? That's the part where you go, oh, well, no wonder they lost. No wonder Iowa State comes back and wins. Their, their offense was outscoring Oklahoma's offense by, you know, double digits after halftime. So it it does, I mean, I think that's a perfect example of your point. If you take it from 
elite, incredible offense to really, really good offense, this is like an eight and four team, maybe a seven and five team. And that's, that has to, that necessarily shifts the power in this conference to somewhere else. And I don't know that we know where that is yet. Maybe we can try to figure it out, but it's not going to be in Oklahoma, I don't think. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. So getting back to your original question for this episode, what does the power structure in the Big 12 currently look like? I think by default, Oklahoma State is atop that power structure because right now they have the best chance, in my opinion, to make the playoff. I still think Oklahoma is a better team than them. I think, honestly, probably Kansas State and Iowa State are both better teams than them. So I would put Oklahoma State at best, fourth best team in this conference. But in terms of the power structure right now, Oklahoma State is in a pretty darn good position because they dodged the bullet with Tulsa. They should have lost that game. And I am i don't know who's below them. And honestly, I don't know that it matters because, I mean, we're both so sick of everything Texas. Right now, this is a... <laughs> Not even right now. This is just a fringe top 25 program and nothing more. And that might be generous. I mean, they did, they do things repeatedly that top 25, fringe top 25 teams do, right? I mean, they, they beat a good team or a great team once a year, once every couple of years. They lose to mediocre teams every single year. They struggle with at least one legitimately bad outside the top 50 to 60 team every single year. They blow leads. They shit their pants. They shit the bed. They have talent, but are missing pieces every year. I mean, they lack the consistency. This is a fringe top 25 program who, in, in a conference that would be more top heavy, they would be an afterthought. I mean, if take the Big Ten. Many years with Ohio State being very high, one, two, three in that ballpark. Penn State and Wisconsin in the top 10 like they usually are. Michigan not far behind. And then that mix of Iowa, Minnesota, whoever moves in and out of the top 20-ish, if Northwestern's having a great season, that type of thing. And a landscape like that. Rutgers. Rutgers, Maryland. Get those teams in there too. Nebraska, maybe. Got that New York market. In a landscape like that, like the Big Ten usually is, or even a better one like we've seen from the SEC many times, and arguably we're seeing this year with Georgia, Florida, and Alabama all having very strong top five arguments. In those landscapes, Texas is just an afterthought. Like, there's still a thought, just like Iowa is. Maybe like a Texas A&M is in the SEC, like a good Northwestern is in the Big 12. But this is just who they are. I mean, people have written about this a lot over the last few years that clearly the Vince Young year, that was an anomaly. That's not what Texas is, and we all raise our expectations. And I'm, I'm This is who they are, and I'm part of it. Like, as much as we demolish Texas on the show, as much as I shit on them on Twitter— I still had Texas 18th in my preseason rankings before any of the cancellations. So with 130 teams in, I still had Texas 18. That's not what Texas is. And I still bought into a little bit of the hype because I like them coming back on offense. I figured there's no way they can be as unhealthy as they were on defense this year. Even though I I believe in most years that the group of teams ranked like 12 to 25 isn't that different. But still, the drop from the late teens where I had Texas at 18 to a fringe top 25 is still a drop and still means something. And I, I'm sick of caring about Texas, and I feel like I told you earlier in this year that no matter where I think Texas should be ranked, I'm just going to drop them 10 spots because I'm sick of their shit. And I didn't do that this year. I thought Texas was the 18th best team in the country, and I put them at 18. You need to hold me to this next year. I'm going to tell you where I think Texas is ranked, in terms of how good of a team they are, whether it be 16 or 18 or 20, 
And you're going to say, oh, that's cool. Now add 10 spots to it, like you said, you're going to do last. <laughs> I'm so sick of Texas doing this shit. And that's why I you're have asking me to be your get Texas get back coach. That's exactly doing. what yeah. you need to do for me because I don't want to do this again. Yeah. I'm so sick of it. That's why I don't even care who. I love the Big 12. I tweeted last night, this is so much fun. Even though the Big 12's playoff chances are so low, you and I both love the everything round about round robin, the, the, the differences in, uh, in approach. The I, I So much fun. So entertaining every yeah. year. But I don't know if I care about the power structure right now because even though I have Oklahoma State won, Chase, Oklahoma State's not making the playoff this year. It's not going to happen. It, I I can't I can't envision a playoff path for the Big Twelve right now. I really can't. And, and not it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. But just individual teams go one by one. I can't figure out how any of them get there right now. There's too many ifs. There's too many. They're probably going to lose that game. I don't see how they win that game. I mean, it's just. Oklahoma State's 2-0. and They've beaten Kansas and West Virginia. And that West Virginia game, I feel like Oklahoma State got outplayed. I don't know how they won that game. I do. It's because West Virginia cut off their own legs while playing that game. So it's just, I, I don't know how, when they actually play the other good teams in this conference, I don't know how they're going to win unless something drastic changes. I feel like Farmageddon is the de facto conference title game in this conference right now. Write it down. Let's move on to the SEC power structure because it's a little bit of a, a different conversation. I think there's some similar cloudiness, but it, it's dropped down quite a bit. Um, and I think a lot of this focuses on what we saw last weekend, not as much as the Big 12. We're not seeing as dramatic of shifts, but I think we're seeing, like I said, Alabama, Florida, and Georgia all have very strong top five arguments with Ohio State and Clemson in there, in my opinion. I have... So I think Alabama is still the best team in the SEC. I still think Georgia is the second best team. I still think Florida is the third best team. I mean, same deal as we've said with Georgia and Florida before. We've agreed on this. We think that Georgia is the better team than Florida. We think they have more talent than Florida. They have a more dominant defense than Florida. I like Georgia in that game in Jacksonville, but the schedule, in our opinion, still puts Florida ahead of them in the playoff power structure. Do you still have one, two, three, Alabama, Georgia, Florida atop the SEC? Well, don't we have one, two, three, Alabama? Oh, are you are you saying best teams or projected? Yeah. So in, in terms of who I think is the best, I think there's two power structure arguments. That's why I kind of asked you at the start of the Big Twelve, who do you think is the best team? Because okay. in terms of yeah, yeah, yeah. the best team, I still have Oklahoma on top of the power structure. But in terms of who's the best team, I have Alabama, Georgia, Florida. In terms of the playoff power structure, sure. okay. I have Alabama, Florida, Georgia. That's why these these conversations Understood. are really interesting to have together. Yeah, I. It's getting close for me. It's getting close on Florida versus Georgia. And like you said, we're, we're of the same mind. We think Florida has the better playoff path. We like Florida to come out of the East. It's almost entirely schedule related. But it's just, man, that offense looks better, like a lot better than I thought mm-hmm. it was going to. It looks, I thought it would be good. Mm-hmm. It looks really, really good. So I'm I'm st- I'm going to stick by the the whole I think Georgia's better thing for now, but they get past and, and they got past this Auburn hurdle, which was a big, you know, I, I know you had some thoughts on Auburn last night. Uh it, on on paper, this was a tough game. So this is one pretty big hurdle that Georgia has now cleared. 
I believe they have to play Alabama as well. I still am going to stick by the Georgia thing, but Florida is getting close. Florida is getting really close, not just in terms of schedule, but in terms of who I would just want to back straight up in a game. Fourth, then, in both conversations, the power structure of which teams are better and also in the playoff conversation, I don't I don't really know if there's a playoff Arkansas? conversation in the – I would put I put the Arkansas up there. <laughs> Can we just, – just really quickly, we talked about this after the Georgia game. Something is working with Sam Pittman. Yeah. I don't know what it is. No, don't know Barry, what it is Barry Odom is just getting a stupid amount of credit, not to the level of like Joe Brady over at Orgeron last year, but Barry Odom is getting a stupid amount of credit, and he should be. But something is working in Arkansas that they haven't been able to figure out with a competent coach in a long time. I don't know what that is. I don't know what the ceiling is. But you said last week, is it too early to say Arkansas will win a Power 5 game this year for the first time since 2017? I said no way, I think. Clearly, you were leaning that direction. Are you surprised that it happened this early? On one level, I am. And on another level, I'm not. So... I can't take credit for like, oh, I think Arkansas is going to win next week. I never said that. I never would have said that. So I I can't take any kind of victory lap on that. On the other hand, isn't this part of the Mike Leach experience? Yes, exactly. Everybody tweeted that, yeah. 650 yards, bam. All SEC single game record, bam. Showing LSU is not actually that great of a team this year after they lost so much last year, bam. Losing at home to Arkansas when they've lost 20 straight SEC games. Bam. That's that's what you get with them. So it doesn't mean it, it, it wasn't still a great hire. It doesn't mean any of the things we said about Leach and Mississippi State last week aren't true. But this is often sometimes what you get with Leach. It's like a little dis- loss. It must have been like a little disclaimer when they signed him. Like there's a little like fine print in like six point font at the bottom of the contract. Like you're gonna get some good times. You're probably gonna have better times with Mike Leach than you would have under Joe Moorhead. You're gonna get a lot of what Dan Mullen did, but you're also gonna get the Sylvester Croom days. You're gonna get those days that Mississippi State went through for what like fifty years. You're gonna get all that. There must have been like some little tiny fine print at the bottom of the contract. You're going to get a little bit of piece of this. Back to this this SEC power structure thing. Wait, can I can I ask one more thing while we're on this game? Please, how many how please. many money line parlays do you think Pitt and Mississippi State killed this week? How about I mean the that's money be... li- how about money line or not money line but the the total parlay in the TCU? I haven't asked you about that. The TCU Texas game, and I believe that killed the under with that last second safety. Have you been burned? by anything like that and does that make you never want to bet again oh sure yeah you i mean you get burnt now i didn't actually bet that game but yeah (laughs) just burns are part of this this life man just getting just absolutely destroyed stuff you think you have locked up that's the second straight game tcu has just like literally pretty much the last play of the game like at the very end because that that iowa state game iowa state and the under were both covering and TCU scores on just a absolutely does not matter touchdown the last play of the game as the clock hits zero and it goes over and TCU depending on where you got that number for uh, for the spread but yeah it's just that's just part of this number four in the SEC I have no clue here I don't like what I've seen from Kentucky I was very high on them coming to the year I picked them to beat Auburn and upset 
And after seeing Auburn yesterday, I'm wondering now how good Kentucky actually is. I'm not buying Tennessee. Congrats on beating a miserably coached South Carolina. Guys, just pay the buyout and move on from Muschamp. It's a really good job. I think it's a better job than most people realize. Get yourself something something better. Just eat the buyout. I don't care what the number is. I think it's still north of $10 million. I don't care. Move on from him. Is it Auburn? Is it A&M? Is it still Mississippi State even after yesterday? Or is Arkansas just decent now? What are we doing with the rest of the SEC beyond number three? And do you think that any of these teams are even in that playoff conversation? Or is it just a matter of who does Florida lose to? Who does Georgia lose to? Who does Alabama lose to at this point? Yeah, I think it's... I think there's way too much traffic at the top of the SEC for any of these other schools to have a realistic shot at the playoff. But I think you have... A second class with A&M, Tennessee, maybe Mississippi State, maybe, and then Auburn. Uh, I want to see more from from the Leach stuff before I say they are definitively like right there. Because we know what Auburn is. Now, you might think, okay, they're a little bit of a fake top 10 team, but they're still good. They're still really good. Uh, Texas A&M, we know what Jimbo is as a coach. We know what he's done. We know... They're going to have athletes. We know they're pretty good. Tennessee, I think, is pretty good. I've watched them. They're not going to beat the top three teams in that conference, but they're pretty good. So this goes, I think, the first thing you have to say is goes to the depth of the SEC this year. There are some years where people chant about the SEC, and it's one or two really, really good teams at the top, and the middle is looks like every other conference. I think I said this before. I know I said this before the season started. I think this is going to be a really good year for the SEC. They're going to have a lot of really strong depth. So you're talking about seven, eight, nine teams that are solid top 25, top 30 type of teams. We didn't even mention LSU yet. And, you know, I, I, I still don't really know what to do with them. I don't think they're a top 25 team, but they don't suck. They just hung 50 on Vanderbilt, and it's a Vanderbilt team that clogged up AM last week. So it's a really good conference. And, I don't think any of those teams are going to have a realistic playoff shot, but it's quality, quality depth. And that's good for the SEC because sometimes I feel like they are resting on the top one or two teams in that conference, and they're not actually a great conference top to bottom. Really good this year. The contrasting brief debates we just had are really interesting between the Big 12 and the SEC, and obviously that's going to happen when you have 14 teams versus 10 teams and how the division and schedule is structured. But it's really interesting to see the contrast there of, even if Oklahoma State does have the Big 12's best chance, I don't think it's happening. You don't see the path either. And then you go over the SEC, and there's a very, very clear path for three different teams to get in the playoff. And it sure as shit seems very likely now that two of those teams will indeed get in if that East uh, champion were to get into the SEC championship game undefeated. Hell, maybe they can get in with the two-loss. There is similar cloudiness, I think, beyond that, and maybe that just has to do with 10 teams versus 14 teams. But from two on down, I mean, I think Oklahoma, like I said, is still the best team in the conference. I'm talking now here just which teams are the best. From two on down in the Big 12 and then four on down in the SEC, there's similar cloudiness. But in terms of the depth of the conferences, we always talk a lot about the Big 12 depth. The SEC, like you said, the depth there is absolutely remarkable. And we'll see what happens with Arkansas. We'll see what happens with Mississippi State moving forward. But there are a lot of SEC teams that I think you could plop into the Big 12 right now. 
and would have a really, really good argument to be a top three team uh, in the Big 12. Anything else on these power structure things? You want to move on to Pac-12? Let's talk about the West Coast, yeah. Pac-12 is back starting the season at 9 a.m. local time, Saturday, November 7th. Love that. Uh, at which time, I, I, here, I, I'm pretty certain you're going to go here to start this conversation on where the, the Pac-12 fits in the playoff conversation. So at the time that the Pac-12 kicks off on November 7th, I went through to see how many games potential or current playoff contenders will have played by then. So by November 7th this year, how many games will these teams have played? By November 7th, Alabama will have played six games, including the Georgia game. Florida will have played five, and they get Georgia on the 7th. Georgia the same. They will have played five games, and they get Florida on the 7th. Uh, Oklahoma State, six games, including Texas, for what that game proves to be worth. Also, Iowa State. Clemson will have played seven games, mostly shit, but they will have played Miami, and they do play Notre Dame on the 7th. Notre Dame will have played six games, including uh, Clemson on the 7th there. Miami will have played seven, and then to the Big Ten, Ohio State will have played two, Penn State will have played two, Wisconsin will have played two, and Michigan will have played two. I know you're going to go here because this is something that you've talked about quite a bit, the factor of essentially catching up to your other peer playoff contenders. Is that just too big of a hurdle for them to to reach when I mean even looking at the big the big 10 only two games versus zero isn't that big of a gap but in the case of Ohio State and Penn State even though the the Pac-12 might not be technically competing with Ohio State for a playoff spot the Pac-12 might be competing with those second tier teams from the big 12 Penn State for example maybe a second team from the SEC maybe somehow a second team from the excuse me from the SEC and the ACC even though that's not that big of a gap between two and zero games from the Big Twelve, excuse me, from the Big Ten to the Pac-12, Ohio State still will have played Penn State and vice versa. So at that point, when the Pac-12 kicks off on November seventh, is it just too much ground for them to to pick up over the next seven games for them to actually enter this playoff conversation, especially in a year in which they don't have a very obvious playoff contender? I totally think so. I, I don't. I mean. You're you're right about the obvious playoff contender thing. We can talk about USC if you want, but let's just set that aside for a second. We're talking about two months of football before you guys take the field. If if the Pac-12 wanted to come back to play football, if it hey we've got these athletes, we think it can be relatively safe at this point. We're we're, we're pretty confident, uh, even though you know. It was a couple weeks ago where we said it was like gross negligence to even attempt it. Whatever. We, we've, we've changed our minds. We think we can play it now. And these guys want to play. Our fans want to watch football. Fine. I'm good with that. Just like I was talking about with the Trey Lance stuff. If you just want to play the game, you know what football players love? They love to play football. You know, it's, it's fun. It's a sport. It's a game. It's fun for them. So if they want to play football, more power to you. Have a blast. I, I'm totally going to support that. But if you're taking the field on November 7th because you can, you think you can create a worthy playoff contender in just November and December alone, that's insane. When you can't even create a playoff contender when you start playing in fucking August. Yeah, it's just, it's not going to happen. So I don't know. I don't know why they think this is a good playoff strategy. I mean, the only thing I can think of and, and I only think of this because I'm trying to be fair. The only thing I can think of is if that season goes longer than everybody else, then maybe when you're the only football on TV, 
you have the spotlight to yourself and you can make up a little bit of ground. But are you going to make up the amount of ground you need to make up to catch the third best team in the SEC who's been playing since the beginning of September? I can't imagine that you are. I, I just don't see how that happens. And then you add in the idea that they don't necessarily have a playoff caliber team to start with. Like maybe it would have been Oregon, but as I've said, there's a lot of opt outs in Oregon. There's a lot of there's a lot of their best players are just like, hey, we're out of here. We're looking to the, to the draft. Uh, the USC maybe we'll see. It just I don't know how you think this is a good playoff strategy. It feels like they are grasping at straws. It feels like they're the one kid in the class that didn't get invited to the party, except they kind of uninvited themselves, and so now they feel lonely. And so they're just they're just jumping back in because everybody else did. And if you don't want to play because you feel like it's unsafe, just don't play. I, I, don't, si- I don't similar. Know. You brought this up really briefly. Similar to like the Trey Lance North Dakota State situation, we don't exactly know why they're playing. Like, are there a bunch of factors? A bunch of small factors come together? Is the big factor the playoff? But they also want to play for revenue and different types of things. We don't know how this decision is being made, but. Eh, I don't trust a whole lot of things that the Pac-12 says, specifically Larry Scott, but he was asked last week something about the playoff, should the Pac-12 still be considered? And he said something to the effect of, well, if a USC is 7-0, and we absolutely believe that they have a playoff argument. First of all, you can't say that without knowing how the rest of the, the, the country plays out. You can't say that without knowing how the rest of the Pac-12 plays out, how impressive that 7-0 and actually is. I don't know if he actually believes that. I think that right. to defend, I'll defend him, him on that because what's yeah. he supposed to say? Exactly. Nah. Hey, we're just we're just playing to play. This no, is they pretty have stupid. To. You should ignore us. Right. right. So I don't want to defend Larry Scott really under any circumstance, but and I, I don't know if he actually believes that or if he has to say that. Either way, I think it's a fine answer. And maybe he's right. Maybe USC is actually a good team this year. Maybe Oregon is a lot better than we think despite the opt-outs. Maybe somebody else comes up like a Utah sometimes does. We don't know what's going to happen there, but going back to what you just said about the Big 12, where on earth is the path here? Because sitting here right now, it sure looks like, take Georgia, for example. If they're a two-loss SEC East champion, one loss in the regular season, then one loss to Alabama in the SEC championship game, with that schedule that they have, there's a very good chance they could be a two-loss team with two or three very strong wins, top 25 wins, which the committee uses as one of their metrics. I have a hard time seeing where the Pac-12 fits in because the Big Ten is getting somebody in. Even if Oklahoma State doesn't get in from the Big 12, Clemson, or we assume Clemson is going to be in. If Clemson's not in, it will be Notre Dame. Maybe you're high on Miami. The Big Ten and the ACC and the SEC are all getting at least one team in. Those conferences, I think, are each in a better position. Each three of those conferences, they get a second team in then the Pac-12 is to get one team in. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen, but to ask your question again, where is the path here? And we'll be able to, to break down that answer a lot more, break down that question a lot more once they start actually playing and we see how the rest of the country shakes out. But sitting here right last week, I said, at this exact moment, after Oklahoma State lost to Kansas State, at that exact moment, I believe that the Pac-12 had a better chance at the playoff than the Big 12 did. Now, I said looking forward two weeks, maybe that might change. But at that exact moment, now I, I believe that at this exact moment, the Pac-12 is a better path than the Big 12 right now. And moving forward, 
at this exact moment and looking forward, where where is the path for the for the Pac-12 to get in over the first team from any of those conferences or the second team from any of those conferences? I don't see it. I'm going to go even farther than that. If the playoff field was eight teams, I'm not sure if the Pac-12 would get a team in. That sounds like something I would say, and I'm I'm not. I can't go that far. If you want to say six, it sure. it sounds crazy until you sit down and look at the teams and look at the math. Okay, the math is is that the we assume that the Big Ten and the SEC get two teams in a piece. We assume that the the Big Twelve champion probably gets in, and then you would have to assume that a Miami a Notre Dame get in. But then I think you need to have the G5 conversation before we hop over to the Pac-12. I, In that scenario, I have a really hard time saying they definitively wouldn't be in. If I had a bet on it, I would say the Pac-12 would get a team in with an 18 playoff this year. But that's a interesting scenario, though. Maybe I should I'm say I'm it. not sure the Pac-12 would get a team in. And that still kind of makes my point. If right. you ha- If you double the number of playoff teams... And right. you're still not sure a conference, a power five conference is going to get in. That speaks to how just miserable your, from a pure playoff sense, how miserable your operational strategy is. Well, and it's in a year in which you wipe out a Boise state. So that type of the G5 argument is gone. You also don't have that elite, elite G5 team, even though we both like Cincinnati a lot. I don't think they're one of like those top seven or eight teams that sometimes we see. And then you have what's going on in the Big 12. So all that's going on in a pandemic year and an expansion of the playoff to eight teams, and we still can't definitively say that we think the Pac-12 would be in a good position. Yeah, I think you're right. If you had to give me a 50-50 shot on the Pac-12, I would say there's a less than a 50% chance the Pac-12 will get a team into an 18 playoff this year with what everything's going on. And that is fucking pathetic. Yeah. And we could make the same criticism of the Big 12. I don't know that it would be yep. less than 50%. Yep. But like... Jesus. I'm Jesus. not... At this point, having seen what we've seen the first month of the season, are we sure the Big 12 would have one of those eight teams? I'm not totally sure no. that we would. No. Like I said, I think the the Pac-12 is in a better playoff position right now. And I think they will be moving forward. And if I think that, then obviously I think the Big 12 is, I mean, like what you just said, it's really easy to see Oklahoma losing four games this year. It is. Like that's not out of the, that's not even saying, well, it could happen if this happens. They still play some good teams. They have had better teams and Texas has had worse teams and they have struggled with Texas in the past. This is a better Texas team than than they have struggled with in the past, and this is a worse Oklahoma team. Like, they still have so many teams. I don't love the depth of the Big 12 as much this year, but Oklahoma could lose four games this year. It could be one of those type of seasons when Sam Bradford is out. That type of season we saw, what was that, 11 or 12 years ago? Right. That's wild. They got Texas next week. They still got to go to Fort Worth. They still got to go to Lubbock. The, uh, obviously, we, we feel pretty strongly that they're going to beat Kansas. But they still got Bedlam. They still got to go to Morgantown. They still have to play Baylor. I mean, they're 0-2 against right. two teams that are not exactly... I mean, they're, they're both both those teams are 2-0 in the, in the rankings, but they're not the teams that you traditionally go, well, they got past Kansas State. So that's a, that's a big inflection point on their season now that they've beaten Kansas State. 
I mean, every year would be fun to have a Big 12-only podcast, yeah. but this year would be really fun to break down uh, some of these scenarios. All right, we'll be back on Thursday with a Week 6 preview. Chase giving you his Week 6 betting advice. If you have specific questions for him for Week 6 lines or parlays or teasers or whatever, at Chase A. Kitty on Twitter, or you can tweet him to the show at High Motor Pod, and we'll definitely bring those up on Thursday's episode. And then we'll be back a week from now, next Monday, the 12th, after Week 6 to talk about probably expand on some of the stuff we just talked about and then look forward to some big picture stuff. We'll be just a couple of weeks away from the Big Ten. Probably some stuff to talk about there. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside the feeling still remained the same. We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in